Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, another week in our message series from the world of baseball. And today, we're going to be talking about the story of Jackie Robinson, which is, as probably most of you know, an amazing story. And letting you know right off the bat, I'm sure you already figured this part out, if we're talking about the story of Jackie Robinson, that's going to take us into talking a little bit this morning about racism. Now, in the world we live in today, the fact that I just said racism offended somebody. Somebody's already offended. You don't even know anything. I haven't even said a word yet, but somebody has already decided they're offended. Because being offended today is a full-time job for the world. So here's the deal. I heard, I heard a pastor say once, I heard a pastor say once, a preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And so if you're afflicted, I hope you're com- I comfort you today. And if you're comfortable, I hope to afflict you a little bit because every once in a while, it's a pastor's job to get up in your face. So that's kind of where we're headed today. And uh, we'll, we'll, see where, we'll see how many emails I get on the, on the back end of this. We'll see what happens. Jackie Robinson was born in 1919. We have a photo of him, I think. Jackie Robinson was born in 1919 in Cairo, Georgia, to a family of sharecroppers. He never knew his father. They were the only black family on their street, and the hatred that they faced was just the start of the hatred he was going to face through most of his life. Hatred taking shape in racism. So... The hatred that they felt just in their neighborhood bonded their family together and knit them together in a way that they otherwise might not have been. Jackie quickly developed uh, not just incredible athletic skill, but um, incredible intelligence. He proved himself to be really, really smart. He attended UCLA, and at UCLA, he was the first man in history to letter in four sports. So he wasn't just uh, an amazing baseball player. He also lettered in track, in basketball, and in football, and was actually an All-American football player. After college, he served in the Army, following which he decided he wanted to make baseball his career. But this was, by that time, the 1940s. And in the 1940s, there were no black people playing in Major League Baseball. Now, interestingly enough, there was no law saying that people of color couldn't play in Major League Baseball. There was no law, no rule written anywhere in any rule book. It was just that the world was very segregated in the 1940s, and that's how it was. So, people of color played in a league whose very name to us almost sounds like from a bygone era, whose very name seems almost offensive, but it was called the Negro League. And that's where people of color played baseball. So Jackie Robinson played baseball in that league for several years. And that, that was not, it, the, the world in which that league dwelt was like a parallel universe to Major League Baseball. Players in the Negro League often, uh, well, they, they always made a mere fraction of what their white counterparts earned in Major League Baseball. And as they traveled around the country playing uh, in different cities, they often had to sleep on the bus because the hotel rooms were not available to them. Hotels wouldn't rent them rooms. And while their white counterparts ate sitting down in restaurants, they often ate standing up in the parking lot. 
from food that they purchased out the back door because the restaurant wouldn't seat them. Now, this was not just inconvenient. This was not just discouraging. This was dehumanizing. This was horrible, horrible behavior that never, ever should have happened. But that's the world they lived in. It's the world everyone lived in in the 1940s. Now, cut to a scene of Brooklyn, uh, in Brooklyn, New York, of an office in Brooklyn, New York, where this man, Branch Rickey, the then manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, was hatching a plan. Ricky believed that given the right circumstances, the color barrier could be broken. Ricky was, as far as I can tell, a man of God, and thought to himself, like several other managers had thought to themselves, the worst, the, the best players in the Negro League are probably better than the worst players he has on his team. So if he was to integrate somehow, he could improve his team, and it also occurred to him, and make no mistake, that if he fielded a black baseball player, that he could sell a lot of tickets to the people in Brooklyn and the greater New York area and make some money. So he quietly, like, like stealth mode-like, sent scouts out to look around, see who the best players were. And word quickly got back to him of a man named Jackie Robinson. So, uh, trying to, 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 uh, to, to create what he hoped would be a beautiful scenario, uh, Branch Rickey is rumored to have said, I'm a Methodist. Jackie Robinson is a Methodist. God is a Methodist. We can't lose. So he sends a scout to send word to Jackie Robinson. The Brooklyn Dodgers would like to talk to you. Jackie Robinson says, really? That's incredible. And totally blows the guy off. They set up an appointment to meet at a train station. He, Robinson doesn't even show up for the meeting. He is certain somebody's playing a joke on him. He's certain he's being punked. He doesn't even pay any attention to it. Finally, the representative tracks him down again and goes, no, seriously, the Brooklyn Dodgers want to talk to you. So Robinson conf uh, you know, uh, consults with his wife. He consults with his pastor. He thinks about things for a little bit. And he says, what, what's the harm in taking the meeting? He travels to Brooklyn and meets with Branch Rickey. And the pitch meeting, here's how the pitch meeting did not go. The pitch meeting did not go like this. All right, Jackie, you and me are going to make history. And we're going we're to break the color barrier. And you're going to be a hero to millions of people. And you're going to go down in history as a legend. And this is, are you ready? That's not how it went. The pitch meeting went like this. If we do this, you're going to face hatred like you have never faced before in your life. Hatred in the form of racism. That word, the N-word, the N-word, in the 1940s, the N-word wasn't the N-word, it was just the word. That word was just in common usage. So, 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 Ricky is looking at him and going, that word, you're going to hear that word every day of your life. They're going to shout it at you from the stands. The opposing players are going to whisper it to you when they're standing next to you on base. You might even hear it from your own teammates. And they are going to throw at your head. Pitchers are going to aim at you. They're going to spike you with their cleats every chance they get. And no close call is ever going to go your way. They are going to provoke you and prod you and nudge you and try to get you to fight back. And you never ever can. You can't fight back. To which Robinson said, well, well uh, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. You're looking for somebody who, who isn't man enough to stand up for himself. To which Ricky replied, no, 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 you misunderstand me. 
What I'm saying is if you do what any man would do, if you so much as defend yourself, if you so much as come up and stand up for your own rights and push back, they're going to prod you even more. They're going to say it's your fault. They're going to they're instigate you and instigate you and instigate you to fight. And if they can get you to fight every single game, they're going to label you as a troublemaker and send you back down, and that's going to be the end of it. So, so I don't need somebody who isn't man enough to stand up for himself. I need somebody who's man enough not to. To let the ugliness of racism speak for itself. And he said, I'll do it. And he did it. And in year one, as a rookie, he led the league in the, in, in the statistic hit by pitch. Led the league. He also became rookie of the year because he was that good. He was a six-time all-star, made the National League. He was the National League MVP in 1950. And in 19, he played in six different World Series, eventually playing a key role in the 1955 World Series when he became a champion with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the rest, I think you know, is history. Martin Luther King was once congratulated for being the man that started the civil rights movement, and he said, I didn't start the civil rights movement. Jackie Robinson did. So today, Jackie Robinson Day is celebrated throughout the league. Once a year, everybody, every player in the league wears number 42, and it's the only number throughout Major League Baseball that's been retired. Nobody wears 42 anymore to honor him. Regrettably, hatred is still a pretty big part of our world today. Has anybody noticed, besides me, that the world seems to be growing more hateful as the years go on? The people, just, hatred is just boiling right now. It's boiling, it's like a fire, and people keep pouring fuel on the fire. And it just keeps getting more and more out of control. And there aren't very many people fighting to put the fire out. Everyone just seems to be wa wanting to be more and more filled with hate. And often that hatred takes the form of racism. Ugly, small-minded, sinful, despicable racism, which has no part in the life of any believer. Now, as the years go on, we've celebrated the milestones. Jackie Robinson set milestones for us. We've celebrated the milestones back to the Emancipation Proclamation, to the integration of our military, to the integration of our schools, to the Montgomery bus boycott, to, to the, the luncheonette counter sit-ins in the South, to the March on Washington, all the way up to the election of our first black president. And each time we take a step, there's something in all of us that goes, okay, we're, we're, we're making progress. Every time we take a step, though, we also say we still have a long way to go. We're not there yet. And then we had last summer with the murder of George Floyd. Right in the middle of a pandemic, right in the middle, it's like, it's like all this... All this brush and dead wood is lying around and somebody just chucks a match and whoo, And cities are burning and, and, and now there's all this hatred and everybody's screaming at each other about which lives matter and there's all these ideologies competing and everyone's just, there's just this roar of noise. And everyone asked me last summer, hey, are you going to say something about this? Like, are you going to talk about this? Are you going to do a sermon about this? And to, to which I said, yeah, but not right now. 
anything, this last summer, anything I would have said last summer would have been reactionary. I don't want to be reactive, I want to be proactive. So I took some time and did some reading and thought a little bit. Um, and I'm so glad that I did because what I would have said last summer would have missed the mark. Here's what was going on in me last summer. I was horrified by the murder of George Floyd, as I think everybody was. I don't know anybody who thinks that that man's actions were right. And he was convicted by a unanimous verdict by a jury of his peers of murder in the second degree. That pretty much settles it for me, yeah? But what happened right after that, I was upset by that, but then what happened right after that was our city started burning. And there's, like, pillaging and looting, and I, I'm seeing all this news footage of people carrying stuff out of stores and cars getting flipped over and businesses being ruined, and I got, I got like, upset about it. And I, was, and I kind of was sort of, like, pacing around grumpy, like, this is ridiculous, the world's going to hell, what's going on? I was like, Argh. And I talked to a buddy of mine who said something very challenging to me that landed. He said, Bert, right now, are you more upset because there are buildings burning or are you more upset that a man lost his life? That an image bearer of God died at the hands of one who was supposed to be there to protect him and serve him. And when he said it, I said, shut up. but I went back and thought about it and he was right. What was missing in my, in my response, what was coming up in me last summer was this. Here's what came up in me last summer. Man, that dude, that cop is a racist and he deserves to go to jail for the rest of his life and racists need to stop being racists and people need to stop burning down buildings and this is all somebody else's fault. Was what was coming up in me last summer. This is what I was feeling. Oh, me? No, I'm not a racist, see, is what I'm thinking. I'm not a racist. My daddy raised me. You don't treat a person, you don't judge a man by the color of his skin. You judge him by his character and by his actions. Something, by the way, I still stand by. But in my mind, I'm not a racist. I don't use that word. I've never oppressed anybody. That's a terrible situation, but I'm not a part of that system, and I'm not a part of that problem, and thank you very much. Somebody ought to fix that. was kind of what was coming up in me last summer. And since then, I, I've come around on a couple of things and I realized that I, I missed the mark significantly because what was missing in my response last summer was compassion. There was no compassion coming up in me last summer and that might be something, if you're gonna be offended or nudged, maybe offended is the wrong word, but if you're gonna be challenged this morning, I might challenge you with this. What, what turned me around on it was a careful reading of the story of the Good Samaritan. A parable, by the way, about racism. Don't know if you knew that. Good Samaritan is a parable about racism. Samaritans were a hated race. Jewish people hated Samaritans. They, we don't have time to get into why. It's like centuries old and it's really arcane and obscure. But just understand this. Samaritans were a people group utterly despised by Jews. So there's this teacher of religious law who wants to push Jesus. 
wants to nudge Jesus and wants to justify his own racism. And this is what we find in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, so teacher of of religious law expert testing Jesus. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He should have cut bait right there and walked away. He should have left because in his mind, he knows who his neighbor is. This, this expert in religious law knows exactly who his neighbor is. Everybody who looks like him. His, in his mind, his neighbor is everybody who looks like me, thinks like me, votes like me, acts like me, has the same bumper sticker on their, on their, on their car, posts the same kind of stuff on Facebook. I, you know, my, that's my neighbor, my people group. Love my neighbor? Absolutely got it. Thanks. He should have just walked away. But he doesn't. He pushes, doesn't he? He wants to justify his racism. So he says, oh, just, just one more thing, Jesus. Um, who, and who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, you can almost see Jesus looking at him like, all right, here we go. Once, this is what Jesus says to him. Once there was a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Very important that it was a Jewish man, by the way. There was a Jewish man who traveled on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was set upon by thieves. And they robbed him, and they beat him to within an inch of his life. And they left him on the side of the road, bleeding and gasping for air. And there he lay. And the first one to see him, the first person to come across him on the road, was a temple priest, a rabbi, a holy man, a pastor. And the pastor looked at him, bleeding and gasping for air, and said, that's terrible. I mean, this is awful. Somebody should really do something about this. But, I mean, like, no, no, I didn't kill him. I didn't stab him. I didn't rob him. That's, I did not do that. Somebody should totally do something about this, but me, no, I didn't do anything. And I'm busy, and I have to go, I have to go write a sermon on compassion, so I'm going to go. And he walks away. I didn't do it. Next guy that comes across, next guy that comes across him is like a temple acolyte. He's not like a, a not quite a rabbi, but he's like a religious person, not just a Jewish man, but a uh, someone who has some standing in the temple. And he sees his fellow Jew lying on the side of the road, bleeding and gasping for air, and goes, "Man, this road is just getting bad. <laughs> Things are getting bad. Somebody, somebody should, somebody want to come." Me? No, I didn't do it. I mean, I didn't kill him. I didn't stab him. I didn't rob him. I gotta go. And the third person to come across him is a Samaritan. And oh, a murmur of disgust wove its way through the crowd as Jesus told this to a Samaritan. And the Samaritan sees this man lying on the side of the road, the one he should have hated. 
and he bandages his wounds and he anoints his wounds with oil and wine and brings him to an inn and gets him a bed and a meal and, and gets him a room and goes to the innkeeper and leaves money and says, this should cover it, but if he exceeds this amount in his charges, I'll pick up the difference on my way back. And then Jesus looks, and can you feel the eye contact? Can you feel Jesus looking at this young teacher of the religious law who wants to justify his racism? Can you feel Jesus look at him and go, now who was a neighbor to the bleeding man? Go and do likewise. What was totally missing in me last summer was compassion. Everything in me was like, I didn't do it. I didn't burn it. I, 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 don't, I don't oppress people. I didn't kill George Floyd. I'm not a racist. Totally missing the compassion that was supposed to be there in the life, not just of a pastor, but of a Christian. Now look at you don't, we, don't, we don't have to discuss the ideology and all the things that go along with a movement called Black Lives Matter, but could we talk about the statement? That statement was made because there's a people group on this planet who feel like maybe their lives don't matter. That must be awful to feel that. I felt alone before. I felt like left out of things before but not ever because of the color of my skin and never by an entire other race of people. I just straight up don't know what that's like, but it must be terrible. And there was no compassion coming up in me on that, and we're called to that. Now, you may wonder, in the, in, in, as things like this unfold, as, as everyone's shouting at each other, as all this hatred broils up, and as things come to a head, and everyone's kind of wanting to choke each other, what does God see in all of this? What's important to the Lord? Well, as we read the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, as God prescribes things for his people, there are two things that come to the forefront very quickly and stay there. Justice and righteousness. What God calls to his people to have and to be are just and righteous. Justice, for our purposes today, means equal application under the law. So, if a black person and a white person both commit the same crime, they, they are to be treated the same way all the way through the system. And study after study after study has shown that if a white person and a black person commit the same exact crime, the black person is always, almost always, sentenced more harshly. This is unjust. We have work to do. Injustice. And that work is important to God. We're called to be justice bearers in this world. And righteousness, what does righteousness mean? Righteousness was measured in the Old Testament by the way God's people dealt with four groups of people. The poor, widows, orphans, and immigrants. That's, that's, who the people of God were supposed to be looking out for, caring for. This is from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. 
He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. You know what else was going on last summer, which is continuing today? A crisis at the border. And what was coming up in me last summer was, listen, man, those people, like, we need to close the border, and it's all those people. Those people need to go back to where they came from, and those people need to go back to their countries. And there was nothing in me. There was no compassion coming up in me. And that's wrong. I missed the mark. Now, I happen to think we need a closed border. I think if you want to come to this country, you need to do so legally. I think if you came to this country illegally, you did something illegal, and illegal things have consequences. We're a nation of laws. I think everybody kind of gets that. But there was no compassion coming up in me. There was nothing in me pondering for even a nanosecond the horror that those people must have been fleeing from to want to come here that badly. I missed that. You know what my problem was? I cared more about being right than I did about being righteous. Righteousness means, why does God single out these four people groups? The poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. Because these, at that time, that these people groups were significantly disadvantaged by the socioeconomic strata of their world. These are people who were easily taken advantage of. If you're poor, if you're a widow, if you're an orphan, or you're an immigrant. So so what God says is, if there's somebody among you who's likely to be picked on, you stand up for them. If there's somebody among you who, who is likely to be taken advantage of, you make sure nobody takes advantage of these people. These, this people group, the, including foreigners residing among you, this is a people group. They don't know the roads. They may not know the language. They are easily exploited for those reasons. You make sure you care for them. You make sure you come around them and, and, and take care of them. That's righteousness as God measures it in the Old Testament. And I think this fire that's burning, this hatred, it's never going to go out until we decide we care more about being righteous than we do about being right. I read social media, I look on, I'm trying not to, but when I do, it's like everybody wants to be right. Everybody's sure they are right. Everybody who's sure that anyone who disagrees with them is a total idiot, and now the fires are burning. Yes? Everyone's just, it's just, it's just all hatred. And this, by the way, is being fueled by something. Something that was happening in my life that I've come to sort of check a little bit. Could we, could we, could we just check our media intake for a minute? Because look it, I'm a former journalist. I know this for a fact. Every media outlet from which you get your information, whether it's ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, wherever it is you're getting your news from, Twitter, Facebook, for a lot of you, that's your news. Every single one of those platforms is monetized 
Their job is to keep you engaged. Their job is to keep you watching. Their job is to keep you scrolling. Their job is to keep you reading. Their job is to keep you clicking. That's how they make money. And only the most sensationalistic version of a story is going to keep you clicking. So what's happening, as all these forces are battling against each other, and as right trumps righteousness, and as right becomes more important than righteousness, and as, as, as these forces act upon our society, there's this fuel being poured on by, by the news. Now, I don't mean the men and women who are doing the reporting, but an, at an editorial level, at a macro level, Believe this, if 50 people show up for a protest, it's going to be a small suburb was engulfed in protest last night. The media isn't going to, let me say it another way, the media isn't going to be happy until every one of us believes that every white cop in the world is a racist out to kill black people, and the media isn't going to be satisfied until we all believe that every single person of color in every city around the world just wants to burn everything down. And in reality, it is a very, very small fraction of people on either side of that that are doing those things. In the beginning of his rookie year, Jackie Robinson's own teammates didn't want to play with him. They wouldn't shower with him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't connect with him. It took time. But eventually... When the players on the other team picked on him, they started to stand up for their teammate. Eventually, they noticed he's not fighting back. Why isn't he fighting back? He can't, you idiot. He can't. He's just being righteous. So they started to defend him. It occurred to Robinson to wonder why. And the 1947 Brooklyn Dodgers latched onto a concept that we are still missing today. They learned something that we're still trying to figure out. What they said to him was, Robinson, we're all on the same team. We're all image bearers. We all have to fight injustice, and we had better, if we are going to be Christ's representatives in the world, better start caring more about being righteous than we care about being right. That's what God calls us to. That's what God calls all of us to. And for my part, if you're following me on social media, don't expect any fire, don't expect any fuel. I'm going to post a picture of my puppy once in a while. That's what's, that's what's up. Because the world needs more puppies. That's all that's the deal. Um, my, my deal is, as I interact with the world around me, I want to honor God and love others and serve all where I am and, and, and be the man that God has called me to be. And I'm hoping for each of us, if you've been offended today, then so be it. So be it. I'm not, yeah, I, well, you know, it's, it's okay. It's my job. If, I, if you come to church every single week your whole life and nothing I say ever offends you, I'm not doing my job. My job once in a while is to get up in your mug. So if that happened today, thank you for bearing with me through this. I was nervous getting up here, man. But 
And I don't, I don't, stop clapping, sorry. I, 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 uh, I don't get nervous doing this, but I was nervous today, and thank you for bearing with me through this. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for being so good to us, and we thank you that we are all of us made in your image. Father, the mark of sin exists in each of us, and our world is scarred by it, and we have work to do. Lead us into that work. Make us willing to do that work. And careful, not so much to be right as we are righteous, image bearers, all of us operating in love, focusing on the things that unite us, fighting injustice with our every breath, and caring more about being righteous than we do about being right. May it be so in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word truenorth to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.